This is Rob Long with Martini Shot for the Ankler. If you strip away the fancy cars and the overgenerous severance packages, most of what happens here in Hollywood can be put in the category of sales. The guy at the Best Buy trying to sell you the extended warranty, well, he's not that much different from the talent agent trying to package a movie or the writer trying to sell a pitch. One of the chief ironies of this most ironic business is your reward for successfully selling something to someone else in the business, you sell a script or a movie, say, is that you then have to figure out how to sell it to a big and totally uninterested audience at large. Now, it was a little easier in the feature business because they managed to figure out a way to get your money first. And only then, after you forked over your cash and paid for an overpriced snack and fumbled your way to your seat in the dark, only then did they roll out that first reel of the unfunny comedy or unscary thriller or unromantic romance. But by then, you've parked and paid and you're two sips into your $16 soda and you think, what the hell? I mean, I'm here, right? The TV business, on the other hand, is ruled by the human thumb, which is poised executioner style over the remote, ready to zap instantly to something else or something better or something funnier or scarier, just something different. Not your show, but some other writer's show. In the feature business, the audience goes to sit in someone else's chairs in the dark, and they do all of the work. In the TV business, the audience sits, posh-like, on their throne of a sofa, ready with the thumb while the performers are granted a brief moment on the screen to please and delight. So it's humbling knowing that every viewer on every sofa can give you the hook, well, more like give you the thumb, and it's often what trips up younger writers. They like to think that their job is to take the viewers they have and entertain them to serve the folks who are already there. It's not quite right, though. I mean, that may have been the way it was years ago when there were 100 million Americans watching TV with only four or five things to watch. I mean, that wasn't as perfect as the get-their-money-first business, but it was still pretty cushy. Now, well, we all know, now it's very different. So the smart way to think about it, at least from my experience, is to assume that you don't have any viewers at all. What you need to do then, it's a good idea to figure out, is attract some, and that's hard. Just ask the attraction experts. The dating website Match.com once did a survey. Each state they discovered had a popular and unique word that just kept cropping up in the local profile. So in Wyoming, no real surprise, that word was hunting. In Oregon, it was kayak. In Colorado, it was snowboarding. And in Ohio, it was bonfires, which I'm not going to think too much about. Florida, course was Disney. Virginia was military. California is desert, which at first I read as dessert, but then I knew that couldn't be right because, you know, carbs. New York, museum, and Mississippi was looking. Now, dating sites are all about matching people to each other, but media companies do basically the same thing, matching viewers to content. The technology is not all that different. It's all about I know, an algorithm, I guess. And there's not an entertainment executive around who doesn't regularly use the language of dating to describe an audience's relationship to a show. The opening night's audience samples like the first date, which means the second date is a very important indication. But by the third date, you'd better have sealed the deal. Audiences, too, evaluate whether they admit it to themselves or not, a show based on whether they're going to stick to it or not, which is why research testing, which is usually the form of a focus group, can be so inaccurate. People will watch a show in a dark room and think, yeah, sure, I'd watch that show. 
But unless they feel that tug, that compulsion, usually, well, actually always, because there were a couple of characters at least on screen who were magnetic, and at least one of those characters spoke in a totally new kind of way, with a totally new kind of language. I mean, think um, think Chandler and Friends, or Mork, or Jim Parsons on The Big Bang Theory, or Diane Chambers on Cheers, or... Even Simon Cowell on American Idol. Just a totally different way of speaking. So unless audiences feel that magic chemistry, that spark of a successful date, it's basically all over. As the Match.com survey showed, we're a complicated country. The kayak people and the looking people probably aren't going to be watching the same thing that the you know, the bonfire people are, although I suppose the hunt people, which includes Louisiana and Arkansas and Montana, and the woods and lakes people in Maine and New Hampshire, could probably go on some successful dates. The most successful couples we can probably all think of, though, aren't necessarily the product of like a, I don't know, a kayak person from Oregon bumping into a kayak person from Vermont, where it's also the most popular unique word. I mean, I'll bet someone from Tennessee, where the word is porch, could end up on a date with someone from New Jersey, lounge, and feel that click of attraction that goes deeper than the tired checklist of attributes that old-time matchmakers may have relied on. The biggest hits, in other words, and everyone, especially entertainment company shareholders, hates to hear this, the biggest hits are usually the blind dates. The blinder, the better. Two more popular words unique to certain states, Texas, obviously oil, Missouri, weirdly, zoo. Figure that one out and you got yourself a hit. But okay, just say you've managed to write and produce a successful blind date. So you have an audience. What do you need to do to keep them? Now, here's how I think of it. When things get too complicated in my life or I want to get out of a conversation, I get, I get itchy. Upgrading software, calling customer support, figuring out a second act. Anything that's stressing me out at the moment makes me all itchy and prickly, and that's how I know I'm in trouble. It's not something I think about. It's something that's happening physically to me. I feel itchy, and I suddenly realize that whatever's happening is really bugging me. And then I do something else if I can. That's sort of a version of the occupational hazard of working in show business. You get disconnected to the experience of an actual audience member. You're too busy I don't know, hating the guy who directed the movie, or knowing what terrible shape the first draft of the script was in. In other words, it's a kind of insiderism disease. You know too much. And that couple with living in a town where people park your car, you can hire someone to pick out your clothes. It's a very disorienting and removing experience. But you know if you're itchy. I mean, you feel it. That's an involuntary physical response. So for me, the show business version of that is what happens when I look at my list of saved shows on Netflix or Amazon. You know what I mean? Those lists of I want to watch that we sometimes compile for ourselves. Each service has its own version. Honestly, there have been times when I wanted to watch something, but I ended up just scrolling and saving instead. So my lists are filled with shows I want to watch, that I plan to watch, that I feel good about watching. But somehow I never actually watch. I have every episode of one show in particular all lined up. It's a show I want to love. It's got a great cast, terrific writers. But when I flop down on the sofa and grab a drink and prepare to watch, for some reason, my thumb never presses play on that particular show. I mean, I've saved the whole series. I want to like it, but I never press play. My involuntary physical response 
keep looking, not this, is telling me something that I can't quite admit, which is, I don't like the show. Or more precisely, I'm resisting it for some reason. And I've been trying to figure out why, because it's a good show, it's got great actors, it's about an important subject, it's detailed and informative, and that's that's it right there. That's when I get itchy, because the show is informative and about an important subject, which makes it somehow like not a show, like it's like it's homework, and nobody pays for homework. Homework is what happens when really talented people work on a passion project and just forget to put the fun into it. They forget to put in the drama and the high stakes and maybe a gunshot or two. Now, maybe I'm alone, or maybe I'm just the only one stupid enough to admit it, but I'll watch a documentary on occasion, but when I'm on the sofa and having a drink and trying to decide what to watch, I will never, ever choose the homework. I will always choose the candy, no matter what's on the list on my list. Does everything have to turn on a joke? A writer I know shouted to his staff after they all kept pitching funnier versions of a complicated and dramatic moment. Why can't we use our time to say something, he said to them, about the way we live today, about how messed up the world and our relationships are. His show obviously was canceled pretty quickly because he made the mistake of thinking that it was his time. And it wasn't. It was his audience's time, and they didn't want to spend it doing homework. They wanted to get right to it. I just want to set up the world, writers often say about the first 10 pages of a script. I just want the audience to see the characters in their element, to get to know them. But while they're setting up the world, two of the, I don't know, the real housewives are screaming at each other, or someone is telling a joke somewhere else or something, and the audience, which is almost always ahead of the story anyway, is getting that itchy thumb You don't need this stuff up front, is pretty much what every writer tells every other writer when asked for feedback on a script. You don't need this stuff at the top of the show. You don't need this stuff at the top of the scene. You don't need this stuff. And every writer always says, yes, I do. I need to set up the world. I need to set up the character. I need to set up the situation. Or as I heard one writer say, this is like just the appetizer part of the show. The main course is coming in episode two. The audience is hungry. They're not going to wait. And it's true not just about storytelling or filmmaking or TV show producing. It's true in any endeavor, I think, when you're trying to get people to do something or pay attention to something or just to sit still for a moment. Don't serve them appetizers first. Serve them dessert. Fun stuff first. Sweet stuff up front. Start passing out the treats the moment the show starts. Ask yourself, if you're a writer, at the top of the show, at the top of the scene, is the audience getting dessert first? Because if they're not, someone, somewhere, is serving it up a thumb push away. And that's it for this week. Next week, we'll do some M&A. For The Ankler, this is Rob Long with Martini Shot.